As I sit on a plane on my way to Baghdad, the city where I was born, I can't help but wonder if my country will recognize me. I was just eight years old when I left. I'm 32 now, and I've come back to document how Iraq has changed. Sawan Georges is a photojournalist for The Post. And Sawan has traveled all over the world for his job. He's covered the war in Ukraine, child labor abuses in West Africa, the fentanyl crisis across the U.S. But for over two decades, Sawan has never been back to the place he still considers home, Iraq. And this year, that changed. As our newsroom prepared to cover the 20th anniversary of the war in Iraq, Salwan traveled back to Iraq for the first time since he left. He wrote about it for The Post in this essay that he's reading here. As the clouds clear, I see Baghdad and tears fill my eyes. My parents and I left as the U.S. sanctions made life in Iraq nearly impossible. When the U.S. invaded Iraq, Salwan was watching this all unfold from afar. At this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people. He watched as the war ended. After nearly nine years, America's war in Iraq will be over. And as the Islamic State devastated Iraq, Along with territory, the ISIS fighters took prisoners as they swept through northern Iraq this week. The group has an especially brutal reputation. Sawan watched his country go through so much, and it left him with a question, one he couldn't answer without going back. Will I recognize my homeland? Will my homeland recognize me? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Friday, April 7th. Today, it's been 20 years since the Iraq war started. So we are going to follow along with one photojournalist on his journey back to Iraq. So, Sawan, what do you remember of Iraq from your childhood? Only few memories from Iraq because, you know, when you leave at a young age, a lot of those memories were not great because life was very difficult. I remember, like, always waking up surrounded by a lot of my family, waking up to being, you know, asked to go get some eggs from the chicken crew we had. So we had, you know, fresh chicken, fresh fruits, a lot of green. The country was pretty much green. Most of my friends were Muslims. I never questioned these people what the faith were. I feel like that Iraq, it was very peaceful. Nobody questioned other others' religion. I used to go with them to the mosque sometimes. Mm-hmm. They used to come with me to church. Mm-hmm. You're Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, grew up Christian. Mm-hmm. So at that time, there was no segregation. Then after the U.S. invasion, it created like a vacuum with uh, sort of like, you know, religious war. And then, uh, you know, the house was never the same when my family started leaving. Mm. So tell me about that. Tell me about why you and your family left and how old were you at the time? We left when I was eight because life 
becoming so difficult in Iraq. Yeah. Very, very limited services. Yeah. And even electricity, we'll get it like four hours to three hours a day. Mm-hmm. And imagine in the summer where the, it's 120, 130 degree. I don't know if I remember feeling like, you know, we need to leave because of sanctions. But my parents, of course, were more aware of it. Plus, we were one of the last families to leave. So we have to leave. So that must have been around, what, like 1998, right? Uh, where did you all go? So we escaped and left to Syria. And we stayed there for five years before finally immigrating to uh, Detroit, Michigan. So in Syria, we were like refugees because, you know, we didn't have paperwork. Um, I didn't have the right document to go to school. So I basically skipped school for five years. Wow. And then uh, as we, we try to make it, you know, my, my grandparents here in America worked hard to provide some money for us to, to keep us basically alive. Mm-hmm. And then the church was helping there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we we do what we can. I remember, like, started working when I was, like, 11 in Syria, just in Syria. doing whatever jobs to make some money to buy whatever I want. Yeah. 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 And you weren't going to school for five years. Yeah, I it's, mean. <laughs> maybe as a kid you'd like that, but looking back, were yeah, you like, yeah. I missed five years. Yeah, I, I think at that time I didn't mind it. <laughs> but now, you know, I missed five years of school, but, and it did it did affect you when, when I first came to the United States, like, you know, I failed all my classes in the first year because we didn't. I didn't speak any English. I didn't know the alphabets, and then they have to, you know, start missing five years of school. Even the Arabic education was missing. Wow! So you were in Syria for five years, and then Salwan, I know that you all later came to Detroit around two thousand four. What was that like for your parents? Because I'm just thinking. They're adults. They're trying to make it in the States. They're so far away from Iraq. Did they miss their homeland? Of course. I mean, nobody would, li- nobody would like to leave their homeland. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if you ask all these refugees and immigrants if, if they would rather stay home, if their home provided what the U.S. provided, they would not want to leave. And that's the choice my family made, many Iraqi families made because of the U.S. invasion that destroyed that country. So when the U.S. invaded Iraq and the Iraq War started 20 years ago, you were probably just a young teenager. What was going through your mind at the time, and and what was that like for your your parents? I was in Syria, Mm -hmm. and I was watching on a TV, and the guy said to me and saying, oh, look, look what they're doing to your country. And it's the first time I learned about the U.S. invasion. I think my parents kept that away from me. I remember I was buying ice cream from a shop, when the statue of Saddam was falling. Just in the last few moments, a U.S. Marine tank with a large chain has pulled the statue of Saddam Hussein down. It's this giant statue. So I was watching that. I'm like, this is, this is terrible. Let me run back. But as it collapsed, a great roar came up from the cloud. There it goes. It is falling down to the ground. I forgot the ice cream and ran back to... Uh, tell my parents this is happening in Baghdad. I was worried about my family that left there. And so as the war progressed and you come to the United States and it's still going on, how did your family feel about the war? I mean, it's probably very complicated, right? Because Saddam Hussein was a brutal dictator. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that time, we were just, um, I mean, Saddam had done a lot to the country. But at that time, like many Iraqis, we didn't realize what would happen afterward. We thought, 
the country will finally have its democracy. It will finally be free and it could be like the neighboring countries, from like like the Gulf countries. And then as the war is progressing, you're still thinking about your family back in Iraq. Salwan, how did it impact them? I mean, it impacted us personally because I lost a cousin um, because in 2013 he was killed by um, Al-Qaeda affiliated group that were targeting Christians. Mm. It, it made the rest of my mom's family all immigrate, leave to stay in Turkey as, as refugees. Then finally they made it to U.S. and Canada. And, you know, you can find Iraqis everywhere in the yeah, world because yeah. of years of war. And then, you know, I lost my uncle to the war. He was a U.S. Uh, translator with the Marines in 2006 in Ramadi when he was killed. Salwan, your family endured so much, and then you yourself, you go on to become this award-winning photographer. I know we're talking to each other. I really encourage everyone listening to look up your work because it's just so beautiful and revealing, and you've traveled all over the world. Um, You've won a Pulitzer. Did you ever think about going back to Iraq to document it as a photographer? That was always the dream. I've always wanted to um, go back to my country for many reasons, personally, professionally. Um, I always felt the country was taken away from me at a young age. I never had an opportunity to remember what it's like being there. So tell me about you preparing yourself to go back and undertake this project. What was what was going through your mind? So I spent a lot of time with my family Asking them and begging them for addresses because they really didn't want me to go back. Um, Why not? My, my family have seen enough death, enough violence from Iraq, from, from our relatives. They still think it's dangerous. So I was one of the first member of my family to go back. When you first arrived back in Iraq, where did you first go? Walk me through that journey. Yeah, so when I got there, I got picked up by our colleagues Mustafa and Osama. And then we went and got some amazing Iraqi food. <laughs> Did it taste like you remembered? Man, it tasted so much better oh, than man. anything I've had, especially our food. Uh, I don't know if it's an ingredients here, <laughs> or, but over there it tasted like how I remembered when I was eight-year-old. And so where did you all go after that? What neighborhoods did you go to? Were they the ones you grew up in? Yeah, so I was born in Baghdad in a neighborhood called Amin. And when I went back, I was able to find the house where I was born. But it has changed because as population grew, the the garden we had, it's, it's somebody's room right now. And uh, the fig tree we had is gone. Um, and that street is so much smaller now. The sidewalks are gone. Uh, it's polluted. Uh, you can barely drive or walk on that street. Is it green anymore, like you remember? No, no, unfortunately, no. Not that green. Yeah. Yeah, the dust is everywhere. It's hard to breathe down there. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine what a child growing up there now feels and, and, and get affected by it. Did it feel like home to you, being there? Have to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely it, it closed that chapter for me that I've been wanting to do all, all these years. And I've been wanting to, uh, to feel after leaving since when I was eight. After the break, what Salwan discovered as he retraced his family's story. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
I know you didn't just stay in one in one city, in one place in Iraq. I know you also traveled to Ramadi. Tell us where that is in the country and what took you there. So Ramadi is west of Iraq. So the reason why we traveled to Ramadi because my uncle, Sahar Georges, uh, he was killed when he was working with the U.S. Marines as a translator in 2006. And what did you find there and what did it mean to you to be there? So... That was the main reason why I did this trip because my uncle was so, we're, we're very close in age as well as, you know, we grew up together in Iraq. I, I left it for last because I knew that was, will be the heaviest thing for me mm-hmm. to go to the location where my uncle uh, got killed. So with the help of my colleagues, we were able to find a former policeman who worked with my uncle and even fed him Iraqi food. Wow. So... We went there, we took that trip to Ramadi. It's a couple hours away from Baghdad. And then we got there and um, he said, where do you like to go? We're like, we want to go see those checkpoints where my uncle uh, was working and then the one where he was killed. We want to see where he slept. And it, now it turned to an Iraqi government building. So I remember standing across the uh, Efrat River, looking across that building and... and um, thinking my uncle was there for a few months, woke up, looked maybe at the same river, what was her going through his head. It was really heavy to be there. You know, I could feel, you feel the energy. It's a place that I've been wanting to go say the proper goodbye to my uncle. Then we made it to uh, the area where he was killed, and it's a building on a corner of a street next to a government building. So the U.S. Um, Marine had a checkpoint there. And that checkpoint, um, it was temporarily. So they were there for a three-day mission, then they were going to leave. So on the third day, and he was, you know, that was the last day, he came out from a building where they were, and um, a car left the line and sped uh, sped toward them and exploded. And there was a car bomb that killed him, another Marine, and wounded so many people. It also killed like seven other Iraqi policemen. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got there, I stood there. And uh, I was shocked because that city of Ramadi has been taken by ISIS, has been completely destroyed through really, really violent uh, uh, battles and rebuilt. The streets, uh, some of the streets in Ramadi are better than Baghdad, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that building is still there in ruins where my uncle worked and got killed. Wow. So I, I sat there in the corner where my uncle got killed, and we're just, a lot of happy memories were going through my my head. Mm. And that's the final goodbye I really wanted to um, to be able to say to him. And um, yeah, I remember our last conversation, he was driving in the Humvee and looking at children playing soccer, and he texted me through chat. It was Yahoo Messenger back in the day, yeah. 2006, and he was like, I can't wait to come back so we can play soccer. And uh, I remember as, as we were leaving Ramadi, that's what I saw. I saw children playing soccer. So it, it, was, uh, it was finally the, um, the closure I was looking for. Salwan, I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to get that closure. And as you're telling the story, I also know that you photographed this place and that, you know, in, in your work... You have photographed people all over the world in some of, you know, their most intimate and vulnerable moments, 
both heartbreaking and and life-affirming. And what was it like for you to be on this personal journey back in your homeland, but seeing it through your camera lens? Like, what was it like to be in Iraq and see it through the lens of photography? It was something that has been missing for my uh, heart all these years, to be able to be in my country and, and photograph things I care about. Even though I was photographed in the past, to have a closure, uh, to be able to move forward, um, for me, I can finally, you know, say I've worked in Iraq as well. I was always feeling something's missing for my career, my me personally, to be able to see everybody else go to my country and not me. So going back there, um, I made a new family, I made a new friends, even though those memories I flipped a page on, now I'm looking forward to go back and, and doing a lot of work in my country because, because the, the country deserves it. You also visited a cemetery while you were there. Can you tell me about that? One of the things I had on my list was to go and visit the grave of my cousin, who I talked about earlier, got killed by terrorist groups, as well as say goodbye to my uh, grandfather on my mom's side that I never had an opportunity to uh, go back. So I saw my cousin's grave. I restored it. I painted his name again. What was the state of his grave when you first saw it? It was still standing, but it was trashed uh, the, his picture is covered in dust you can you cannot see his name from the weather from also it's been years so I kind of painted his name I painted the window it's like a little window above his uh, uh, grave where there was a pic you can put a picture there so mm. I broke the lock put a new picture yeah brought a new lock and I'm gonna take that key to my uncle his his parents mm. in Canada. That, so when they go back, they can go and, and be able to, you know, visit him in a proper way. Because when he died, his friends buried him. All our families left. Wow. So I'm the first one from my family to go back and see, see him. Mm-hmm. Then the challenge was to find my grandpa's grave. Because he's buried in a tomb in, in that cemetery. And uh, the, the room is, can, contains seven other uh, caskets because uh, my, his, his relatives are there, like my great-grandpa. Parents. It's like a family family tomb. tomb. Yeah. As I was walking, looking through this tomb, something felt really strange. The area looked like it was bombed. Uh, something happened there. A lot of the tombs were destroyed. A lot of the caskets were exposed, and it it just didn't feel right. So through the help of my other family on FaceTime, trying to walk them up in the middle of the night. You're like FaceTiming while you're there. I'm FaceTiming, asking them like, can you please help me find my grandpa's grave? Because nothing, it it didn't look normal. It looked like all destroyed. I was shocked to see that first before this, well, before what I'm about to discover. Then... Then we found an old picture during the burial of my grandpa and I was able to match the walls, the surrounding. But when I got there, the the door of the tomb was gone. And then I look inside and I see my grandpa's uh, casket and his relative all destroyed. I remember standing there like, couldn't believe this. Is this really how I wanted to come back all these years and see my grandpa's uh, uh, gravesite and tomb? 
And then uh, I asked my Abu Muhammad, who's the cemetery caretaker, for 30 years. 30 years. 30 years he's been there. It his, was his dad taking care of it, then he grew up there taking care of it. His kids are there. I was like, what the hell happened here? Yeah. Like, what the hell happened here? This, Like, would you would you want to go see your dad's uh, or grandpa's, uh, your family member's grave like this? He uh, he looked at me and he's like, um, unfortunately, this happened um, 2006, 2007, 2008. U.S. troops came into the cemetery and destroyed a lot of these tombs. They were looking for weapons at that time because the Mahdi army, they were informed that the Mahdi army were hiding weapons there. So <laughs> I'm standing there, you know, I'm 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 half American now. Yeah. Like how do how should I feel about this? When I came back to the U.S., I wanted to confirm that the U.S. soldiers did destroy my my grandpa's grave, the cemetery. So I emailed the U.S. officials, and but I never got a response. And unfortunately, we may never get an official um, confirmation of what happened, but I've spoken to four people who were there and were there during that time, and they said that's what happened. And uh, that area had seen a lot of battles and violence. But I kept remembering what happened after the U.S. invasion to my country. We, when, when the U.S. went there for a purpose and, and looked for those weapons that, that were never found, it also feels like for a lot of us Iraqis that it was all a lie because it destabilized the country, the region, and that Iraq that I remember is never there anymore because of the U.S. invasion and the violence that unleashed. You, you know, we, There was a religious war afterwards, the ISIS which is, was one of the darkest days in, in that region. So I worked with Abu Muhammad the following few days and my colleagues Mustafa and Osama, and uh, we restored it. We went and brought fresh sand. We filled the tomb. Then uh, we uh, hired someone to come and put some concrete and we made a new sign. And uh, I, I went and bought some plants and, um, you know, it looks really good now. So I hope that when my family, if they ever think they want to come back, my relatives, um, to go back and see it the way I wanted to see it, the way my grandpa want, wanted them to see it. And um, I did that for my family. Yeah. It's like you were able to go back and you were able to do this. And then I'm also thinking about how there's so many people who aren't able to do that at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this, I mean, j- just for our listeners, you know, this is a story not only mine, it's thousands of Iraqis, also Syrian refugees, refugees from anywhere in the world. That's the that's the refugee immigrant story that not many people got to do. Yeah, that experience of being an immigrant and refugee that once you leave, the place changes forever, yeah. and then you change. So you can yeah. never really be in that place again, but revisiting it. Mm. Well, Samwan, thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you. Salwan Georges is a photojournalist for The Post. You can see his stunning photography from his return back to Iraq by clicking the link in our show notes. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Rena Flores. It was edited by Ariel Plotnik, and it was mixed by Sean Carter. I also want to let you know that Post Reports has some good news to share. 
We were nominated for three categories in the Webby Awards. The Webbies honor the best stuff on the internet, and you, the public, get to pick the winners. You can vote online now until April 20th, and also be sure to vote for Broken Doors, a Washington Post podcast. We'll have a link to this in our show notes. Our team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Martin Powers, Lucy Perkins, Eliza Dennis, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnick, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, Rennie Svernovsky, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, and Renita Jablonski. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.